0: This is the Cruise Control Podcast with me, Randy Cruz. You can follow me on Twitter at R-A-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z, also at Cruise Control Pod. You can download and subscribe to the podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud.com. This is Ryan Pinagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, and one of the co-hosts of This Week in Marvel podcast. You're listening to the Cruise Control Podcast Randy Cruz. This is the Cruise Control Podcast here on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can follow me, the host, Randy Cruz, on Twitter at R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z, and I'm joined by Mr. Ryan Berger, the host of the Burger Shop podcast on Blog Talk Radio. You can find him on Twitter at the Burger Shop. T H E B E R G E R Shop. Ryan, what's up, my man? How you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Mr. Cruz. Doing well. Just uh, staying, trying to stay warm from this blizzard that we had here in New York. But uh, everything melted now, so it's, uh, it's a good time of year. It's a lot of things are going on, and uh, looking forward to joining the show. So thanks for having me.
0: No problem, man. We are enjoying a beautiful 43-degree weather today. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's been a very mild winter except for the uh, except for the crazy blizzard. So hopefully we can get through uh, a couple more weeks of this and we'll be into golf season.
0: Exactly. Um, like I said, you are the host of the Burger Shop podcast that you do on blogtalkradio.com. People can find it on the Burger Shop podcast dot uh, dot com. So before we get into that, can you explain what does the burger shop entail?
1: Yeah, so the burger shop's a marketing agency. We've been around for about eight and a half nine years. We work with brands, large and small, to inject them into culture. Uh, we create you whether know, it's experiences, uh, social media marketing, anything that really uh, drives conversation and engagement. Uh, a lot of it is around new media. It's a, new media is actually a class I've been teaching at NYU for the past uh, 10, 11 years, and thought that uh, by starting my own agency, we would create sort of a suite of offers that would allow brands to uh, engage with the consumer in really new and interesting ways. We're also working with a lot of technology companies and uh, opening doors for them either at agencies, at brands, you know, in the U.S. here. So we're doing a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, we worked with a lot of sports companies, apps, fantasy companies, as well as bigger brands like Jaguar, Polaroid. Um, I'm sure you've seen a couple of things we've done. Uh, you know, I know we did a campaign for LeBron to come to the Knicks when LeBron was a free agent his first year uh, via the Garden and Mr. Dolan. Um, done the work with Polaroid, or I connected them to the music group Outcast, and she created the song "Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture." And activated Polaroid every, in the video, and when Outcast was traveling and uh, performing at places like this NBA All-Star game and Saturday Night Live and such. So we're trying to find ways to inject uh, brands into culture through cool and innovative ways, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So,
0: basically, you're a very busy man.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, between uh, work and the podcast and uh, my kids uh, and just the normal everyday New York City life It's uh, that keeps me busy. But the one thing I always have time for is, uh, is sports. I watch a tremendous amount of sports. I'm a big, big sports fan, big New York sports fan. And uh, I've always wanted to find a way to uh, find the business around that. So about three months ago, I started Inside the Burger Shop, uh, the, the, the Grill is Hot, a podcast at the intersection of sports, marketing, and technology and media. And it's been a lot of fun, and I get to use my relationships and people that I know to come on the show. We talk about a number of things that sort of angles around um, what they're up to and what they're doing, but we do a lot of social media. I'm a partner in a company called Hyper, which is the largest uh, search engine for celebrities and influencers in the world, but we have some data to measure all kinds of cool social media data. So we throw a lot of that into the show. To change it up a little bit and uh, talk about the impact social media-wise of a lot of athletes, companies, and brands.
0: So you got this Burger Shop podcast. It's on blogtalkradio.com. So I wanted to ask you, you know, we're currently in a, a big pod, uh, podcasting boom um, over the last couple of years. So everybody that I know and you know probably has a podcast, does a radio show, whether it's sports, entertainment, regardless of whatever. Um before you started doing it, when did the idea of doing a podcast come about?
1: I mean, I love sports. I love talking sports. I've always been intrigued by being on sports radio and you know, people like Mike and the Mazog and Colin Coward, and or people I look up to, guys like Adam Shine, who I know, or Kevin Connors, that sports Center anchor, anchor, all guys that Brandon Tierney, that I've either looked up to or have relationships and friendships with and I've always thought about doing something like this, and then a couple of months ago, I just said, you know what, you know, why don't I jump in, I got uh, a sponsor, in hyper, that as I said, allows me to change the angle of it, and provide us with all this incredible data that is intriguing to not only the guests, but to uh, the audience as well, and we started on blog talk radio, and now it's uh, on iTunes, and uh, and it's a lot of fun, and Sometimes you just have to sort of go for those sort of things. And you've been know, you building the audience week after week, we're getting you know, some interesting attention from some places. And hopefully, we'll continue to, to grow and have some really cool guests. This week, uh, we're going to do a Super Bowl show and have one of my guys from the NFL Network uh, join us on Monday. Um, the tight end of the Carolina Panthers, Greg Olson, I went to high school with. So his dad is a big football coach and brother are going to come on. So just try to create some interesting content and you're an interesting uh, guest that people actually care about listening to, because, as you said, there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of of competition out there, and you want to give something... You want to really create something that nobody else has so that people want to and listen to you, and there's a demand for it.
0: Right. So now... How long did it take you to get you know acclimated, get comfortable with doing a, a radio show, podcast? Because you know we can sit here and be like, oh yeah, you know I can do one. I have this guy come on. We talk sports. We talk NBA. We talk NFL. Whatever. But once you once the microphone goes on air and everything is clicking and you're live, there's a a, a different feeling comes about. So the the question is, how long did it take you to get comfortable doing the radio show?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's different, you know, in my case, it took me a real short amount of time, I and mean, I think we do our show live, so we'll have live listeners, even once in a while, we've got callers, we had uh, Jesse Hitzler, the Atlanta Hawks on uh, about two and a half months ago, and you know, as you start talking, and these guys are friends, or people that you know, and the conversation just flows, I think... Obviously, there's a level of getting over that you're live or getting over the fact that people are, are listening to you while you're, you know, while you're talking. But really, that's no different than just sitting in a bar, having a drink, talking about sports or anything else. You just have to re- realize that that's really what it is. Just because you're on the phone and on the microphone, it's really just talking the way you normally do. So if you think about it that way, you start to feel more and more confident uh, each week that we do our show. I think things like transitions, which is a little bit more complicated on my show, because as I said, I spend a lot of time referring back to data from a social media standpoint. So if we're doing a show and we're talking you know, with Tommy Beer of, Sport, of Basketball Insiders about First half of the NBA, we're going through the entire Eastern and Western Conference and team by team. When well, I'm talking about the individual players, I'm referring to Oklahoma City and Russell Westbrook. Here's how many followers he has, here's how many likes he gets per post, and how many retweets, and here's how many people um, follow Russell Westbrook, where the ages 12 to 18 when we think about um you know the youth and how much they use social media so a lot of it is reverting back to some really interesting data which takes a slight complication because you're not just talking sports you got to constantly transition uh, back and forth but the more i do it the more i feel more comfortable and uh and as i said it's a lot of fun
0: so me and you are both basketball fans me and you are i would say both new york new york Knicks fans um how long have you been a, a Knicks fan
1: for? Yeah, so I've been a Knicks fan um, about 30 years. I, I grew up right outside the city in Jersey. I um, uh, went to some Nets games growing up and then you know, realized what was what and immediately uh, you know, became addicted to going to the Garden. Um, um, I used to come in during Christmas with my family on Christmas Day and we'd always go to the Christmas Day games and see Bernard King and, uh, eventually, Ewing and all the Starks and all the, all the teams. And, you know, I've, uh, been with the Knicks, um, for, as I said, about 25, 30 years. And it's been an interesting ride, uh, a little painful. Um, a lot of time sitting in that garden, uh, especially in 94. And of course, the Vandundi years thinking that we had a shot at a ring. And, uh, unfortunately, it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully it certainly will.
0: Well, you've been a, a Knicks fan longer than me. I've been a Knicks fan since 1999. That's when uh, Spreewell got there. So, you know, I, I've always told people that before I became a Knicks fan, I was a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. And once they disbanded with Michael, Scotty, Phil, the whole thing, um, I was looking for a team to, to root for. And I was never, you know, a fan of the Knicks, even though I, li- I, I live here in New York and, you know, once they got Spreewell and then you know what maybe maybe I you know I can like the Knicks because I, I was a big Spreewell fan. And you know, seventeen years later I'm still a fan, not not many playoff appearances, Ryan, not many wins. We've been through the ups and downs, uh like nine coaches, <laughs> so so many players, so many trades, GMs, you know, but right now as, as the, the the team stands how you know for the first time in a while we can sit back and say you know what the future of the team looks pretty bright um when was the last time you actually felt like you know what we don't have to make the playoffs but we know our future down the road is going to be even better
1: Yeah, that's no, a great question and I don't I don't think there's been the I don't think the answer exists. uh you know, certainly they've had interesting numbers of rookies when they we went back there. Obviously, Patrick coming out of Georgetown and then into Mark Jackson from St. John's and but after that there wasn't a lot of, you know, high profile guys like like what we've seen with Porzingis. You know, you've had guys like Sweetney, Mike Sweetney from Georgetown and picks over the past ten or fifteen years where they've traded those picks where they've never worked out that right. have really been busts. But <clears throat> And since Ewing, there has not been this incredible infatuation with a global uh, potential superstar, you know, like what we're seeing in in, in poor um, So certainly, the future is bright. You know, it's, it's a complicated issue when you look at the Knicks today, uh, at the fact that you know Phil's about halfway into his contract, he's not young. So as Phil Jackson, you know, he wants to win. Um, but at the same time, going for it and trying to win, especially this year and probably next year with a loaded uh, league, specifically what we're seeing with Golden State, makes it challenging to sort of go for it because it's really hard to win. And uh, and I think one of the things that Phil's going to have to balance is: do you build now with Carmelo in his prime, to try to win now, or do you try and do probably the more Uh, Right thing which is to build for a little bit of the future and think about building around porzingis so it's sort of a very interesting thing to think about and talk about because if you're not really a mellow guy and i'm not really a mellow guy i actually think big picture the best thing for the Knicks long term is to actually lose this year and have mellow say i've had enough and, and, and ask for a trade and then you'll build your young pieces around porzingis in one two three years when he's ready to really take over the league. But if you keep sort of hovering around 500, mellow, kind of happy, you're just going to sort of have him play this contract out, and you're going to have to make the right decisions to add a point guard either this year or the following year, um, and certainly the ability to add you know, a guy like Durant or somebody if that were uh, actually to have, have happened or, or of interest. So it's a complicated situation going on with the Knicks right now. As you mentioned, the, the future has never been uh, brighter or more exciting.
0: So, what's your take on, on on Phil? What is your belief now from the day he was hired? And, you know, he, he's traded Chandler, he's traded Raymond Felton, he's got some draft picks. Um, he got Calderon in that deal with with uh, Mark Cuban and the Mavericks. Um, he drafts Porzingis, Jerry and Grant. He signs Lance Thomas down. You know, I can name everybody he signed. And um, at first, it's like you know we missed out on the big free agents at Aldridge and DeAndre Jordan. We didn't even get a meeting with Aldridge. Um, some people just said, well, "I'm not coming to New York." Um, he re- he re-signs Melo, and now they're. They have um, already won more games this year than last year. He tried to get Steve Kerr as a coach. That didn't happen. He, he gets Derek Fisher. So, my point is what is your belief in Phil Jackson from, you know, has it changed from day one till now? And do you feel like he's the right fit for the team going forward?
1: Yeah, it no, does. And, and it's a real, again, another very complicated answer. When Phil was brought on board, he had turned down the job twice. Um, eventually, got enough money that he couldn't say no. Took a job that he's never done before. This isn't Phil Jackson taking over as coach, where you know exactly what he's going to be giving you. This is a guy who comes in and now has a job that he's never had, which is to put a team together. Um, you know, he's faced immediately with the first decision around Carmelo. Um, my, in my heart of heart, I, I, I actually don't think he really wanted. Melo to re sign, but for a number of reasons. I think he had to re sign him. It was enough pressure and enough much of Melo wanting to come back that I think he really would have loved to blow the whole thing up, but um, obviously Melo ends up re signing. The first year looked very dim. Um, Chandler moved, did not look, and look, Chandler's not Bill Russell, and barely has anything left, but obviously the deal. Call their own was not a not a great deal, Um, and the moves were, uh, you know, not not deemed well at all. We went into the summer, and as you mentioned, they struck out on several uh, high-profile free agents, Uh, big men. Aldridge going to the Spurs, and DeAndre Jordan, which again, you know, for for the amount of money that he got, and he's getting taken off the floor at the end of games. It's really hard to envision a guy like that playing in a triangle the way. Uh, Phil likes and, and and then you know and then obviously um, uh, getting missing out on Greg Monroe and then making what I thought was after missing out on all those players really good moves. I think the Robin Lopez move has proved to be a solid move. He's a he's a, he's improved immensely over the past fifteen games. The um, Fallo signing was is, to me is a, is great. A great signing. Two years, not a lot of money options. Um, the bench guys that he brought in—I mean, you can't say enough about Lance Thomas and Derek Williams and coming in for nothing. Both have been, in my mind, phenomenal for what you've, you're going to ask out of those guys. But the key is obviously Porzingis, you know, he, and, 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 the, and the Hardaway trade for Jerry and Graham. I mean, that, that Hardaway trade is again a, a steal. I mean, they stole a young, potentially really good point guard for nothing, and Hardaway is barely getting off the bench sometimes even in the D-League for Atlanta. So mm-hmm. um, when you add all it up, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm pleased with what he's done. Now, obviously, the big chip is he drafted Porzingis, which every GM said they would have also at that spot. So, you still have to give the guy a ton of credit for uh, pulling the trigger. And when you add all that up, you, know, you have to be pleased with the talent he's been able uh, to bring in and the performance of his team. The other thing you mentioned is the Steve Carr uh, thing, which, Again, is a sort of complicated situation. Um, Kerr had never done a job before. He's never been with really a coach. He's just the GM. Um, so nobody knows how good this guy is. And even though he won the championship last year and his team is um, historically setting records this year, he didn't even coach all year, and they still set a historic record. So we're on their way. So very difficult to evaluate Kerr. The, the guy who can be evaluated is Fisher. And the evaluation on Fisher, from what I've seen, is very incomplete still. The thing I'm fascinated about with the Knicks this year, more than any year I could remember, except for the Riley years, is that they play unbelievably hard. They really bust their ass. They right, hustle. Right. They play D. They care about winning. They care about each other. You could tell there's just a camaraderie and a chemistry. It's incredibly fun for the first time in a long time to watch this team. So Fisher deserves a lot of credit for that. Where he clearly is lost is in the the end-of-game situations, He clearly uh, doesn't know when to call timeouts. He's not sharp on plays out of timeouts. We never score buckets and you say, wow, great call out of that timeout or what a play Fish drew up. And then his substitution pattern, which was a little bit dicey at the beginning of the year, has gotten a little bit better. Um, you know, but the big thing with Fisher is, is he the right guy for this job? And if not, who is? And uh, I'm happy to see how hard they play for him. but I really, really question uh, him in, in a big spot, especially uh, down the stretch.
0: You know, we've, we've mentioned poisoning us quite a few times here. And, you know, the, the, the kid is really has really captivated the fans, captivated MSG. Um, You know, I think he has the fourth highest-selling jersey in the entire NBA. The kid is phenomenal, and he's only 20 years old. We just don't know the the future is going to be so bright for the kid. Um, But I have to ask you because this is what I do to every Knicks fan. Um, The night he got drafted and what you see now, how much of a difference of opinion do you have on him?
1: And you can check my Twitter. I was high when they high on him when they drafted him. I really loved the pick. Um, I refused to buy into the oh he's European and soft before mm. I'd seen him live. I had spent a lot of time looking at his videos. Uh, I spoke to Roger Mason, who runs the Players Association, who has the same agent as KP, who said. The kid's the best player in the draft by far, and he's seen him since he was 15. So I had enough intel on him, and I had seen enough things in my own eyes to think that the kid could be really good. Did I think that the kid was going to be a global superstar and be dunking over Durant on a daily basis? No. I don't think anybody thought that. I think the funny part about the Porzingis situation is everybody thought he was a soft European who all he does is shoot threes. Uh And this year, the one critic I have on him is he hasn't shot the ball well. He hasn't come out and hit seven threes in games or stood out. Does he have range? Yeah. Is he going to be a great shooter when he gets comfortable? No question. But what you see out of him is the opposite of what everybody criticized. He's tough. He's got moves. He dunks in your face. He gets in your face. He blocks shots. His footwork defensively, is as impressive as anything I've seen watching basketball in 35 years. He moves like a two-guard, small forward. Now, I, I tried for a long time to think about comparisons. I thought a lot about a comparison of, of Durant because of his size and how he shoots. And a guy like Detlef Schrempf, who comes from you know, Europe and who was 6'10", 6'11", could shoot it. But there really, is, at the end of the day, there is no comparison. The guy's seven foot three. He'll probably end seven five. He's got range everywhere. He moves, like I said, like a, a six seven th- three man. There's no comparison that I've seen to this guy. And uh, as you said, you know, he's captivated, which isn't easy. The city, he's captivated. The garden, people come to simply watch him. Um, he's he's. You know, he's incredibly gifted. He's got a huge hunger to win and to be really good. Um, And you just don't see anything like this ever come into the league. And obviously it's just a huge blessing that he's in New York. Is there
0: also a a knock on Fisher for, I I know you probably noticed it too, but, you know, when it's a, a close, tight game, and if he's not in foul trouble or not hurt, um do you can you or do you understand why Fisher doesn't play Porzingis as much in the fourth quarter or late in the games because like in, uh, against the o, um the OKC Thunder we didn't see much of Porzingis in the fourth quarter or you know or, or late in the game or just just the narrative that he does not get enough playing time in the final quarter um have you noticed that I,
1: I, not so much the playing time but more the actual running plays for I mean, he's out there right, on the right. floor he obviously gets in some foul trouble. But I mean, here, here's the thing, and it's sort of a catch-22: is he, he doesn't really have a go-to move yet. Mm-hmm. If you throw him the ball on the wing and say, yo, get one basket for us to win right now," he, he doesn't have that. I mean, he, he's still weak and not strong enough. He's a much better sort of you're running a one-five pick-and-roll with him, where Galloway or Grant uh, can run a, a high screener roll and hit him on the pick-and-pop and, and take a jump shot to win. And that, to me, right now, he needs someone to kind of create for him. And that's part of, you know, the learning process and part of getting stronger. And eventually he'll have that. You know, the other night, obviously, there was a lot of people, myself included, that were down on the play call at the end of regulation twice. And, and I, you know, I just I come from the belief that like, you have to have the ball in some way, in your best player's hands, but to have a seven foot three guy who's basically playing the center that the end of the game and not even acknowledge that he's on that on the court, not put him in any kind of pick and roll or do anything that can get him a look to me is wrong. And it's one thing to go to a foul once, but the, and he fouls a really nice post up two guard. But those were really difficult shots that he had at the end of the game there. And uh, I would like to see Porzingis more integrated into the offense including late game and if he misses some shots it's growing it'll be a growing thing for him but uh yeah that's clearly what 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 Fisher's thinking right now
0: I know you mentioned earlier you're not a big uh mellow fan um but I want to ask you are you a fan of how he's been able to change up his game over the, the past few months and you know, we 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 know he can score and rebound, but he's been getting um, other players more involved. He, he he's been having you know damn near triple doubles uh, for quite a while. Um, have you noticed the the sudden change of his game? And do you feel like well, it's about time Melo, you know has been you know been able to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in the past couple months you've seen that. I think in the beginning of the year, everybody was saying that he had changed. I I didn't see that uh, his assist. Were basically identical to the way they've been his whole career. I think is about 0.8 assists more this year. So we're not talking about you know averaging way more assists, He's averaging less than one more assist per game than he's done over the past couple of years, and that's a career high for him, which is which tells you what you what you need to know about his you know his again illustrious and incredible scorer, just past Larry Bird, Gary Payton, you know top 30 in the history of the league. So nothing to sneeze about with Melo when it comes to being able to put the ball. In the basket. You now that said, um, you know, this year Melo's made a lot of the right passes. He's made a lot of nice looks out of the double team. Guys have been able to knock down shots. Easy to play that way when guys are making shots and when you're winning or staying around five hundred. My fear with Melo is if this team goes in the tank a little bit, um, loses eight or ten games, all of a sudden they're de- you know ten games under five hundred. Um, no, will Melo continue to make those passes? Or will he start to force up you know, other shots? My other, my other thing with Melo is in the past couple of years, Melo's lost a tremendous amount of his athleticism. If you watch him on a night in, night out basis, he gets a tremendous amount of shots blocked. He could barely dunk, could barely get over the rim. So he doesn't have a choice anymore. He he has to move the ball. He doesn't have the explosive ability to go by people night in and night out. If he's a Really a nice jump shooter at the end of the day. You know, with a couple moves here or there, you know, in the post. he's such a good score that he'll get you 20 to 25 a night. But um, and this is a different Melo, not only in the mindset, but in his body and in his athleticism. And it all adds up to him, you know, I guess, passing the ball a little bit more.
0: Yeah, you know what's crazy? You know, if you know Melo, like you said, the not being as athletic as before. Um, in Denver or when he first came to New York and you know every time like we're we're all surprised when Mello dunks the ball whether it's a one hand uh, throw down a a, a two hand dunk everybody on social media is like oh wow Mello dunked the ball or (laughs) every, every, (laughs) every time he's going down the lane and has that opening he does this you know, two-handed layup. I I wrote on Twitter before that he's the king of the two-hand power up and under layup. I don't know if that's even a move, but that's what he does. And I'm like, Melo, why don't you you just dunk the ball?
1: Yeah, no, his explosiveness is shot. And, uh, you it's funny when he does those, he gets the ball sometimes on this pinch post, and he gives you those jab steps and then pulls the jumper on you. It's a nasty move, but I always say to myself, why would you go for the jab step? He's not going by you. Every time he's pulling jumper if you remember mellow at syracuse or obviously at denver when he was flying by guys um and you had to respect the one or two dribble pull uh now yeah, that's basically what he has again he's older he's played a lot of minutes um and that's where his game is today he, he gets a lot of shots blocked now um and that's why he obviously prefers to stay out there and yeah, and, and shoot jumpers, and uh, you yeah, know he he he, look, he hes a great—he's been a great NBA player, and obviously um, the Knicks have him for a couple more years, so it's in their best interest to keep his his body and his head on right, so that uh, he continue what he's given them this year.
0: How many more years before Porzingis makes the All Star team?
1: Well, if I—if you look at what he's done this year, you would think next year he's going to be an All Star. I mean, I think this year he's going to come close to it. Um, he, you know, if you ever play DraftKings or any of the fantasy stuff, his numbers are enormous because he puts up numbers across every category. Um, you imagine he's going to put, you know, t- he put twenty pounds on this year and lost some weight during the season. You have to imagine as he gets older and grows into his body, he's going to be able to put a lot more weight on. And you would think the goal for that guy next year is to absolutely make the All Star team.
0: We're chatting with Mr. Ryan Berger, the host of the. Burger Shop podcast on Blog Talk Radio and the com. You can follow him on Twitter at theburgershop t h e b e r g e r shop. Um changing gears. Um you know, the Warriors are just uh, destroying everybody left and right no matter who you are. Um, they do play the Knicks on Sunday so hopefully the Knicks keep it somewhat competitive. But they are they are on the the road to Breaking the Chicago Bulls' 1996 record of 72 uh, wins, um, do you think the Warriors break that record? If they do, how many wins do you think they end up with?
1: Well, I mean, at this point, it seems almost probable. I think they're 42 and five, um, which means they have to go 31 and um, five the rest of the year, which which seems very doable at this point. Um, well, they end up with 73, 74, 75, and those are the numbers you would obviously target. Hard to believe they're going to get to 76 or higher. Um, but, I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's historic. And um, the way they play is historic. And uh, the two players that they have on their team are not only two of the best players in the NBA, and Curry and Draymond Green, but two of probably the most important players, and they allow them to play a certain way that this league um, is really unstoppable. The other side with Golden State that people don't even think about or give them credit for is they're so versatile and so deep that teams have such a challenge in figuring out who to even put on the floor against them. So everyone wants to go small because they go small. And, of course, Draymond is the key to them going small, being able to play the five. But even guys like Sean Livingston and Iguodala, I mean, these guys are, I mean, Barbosa. I mean, these guys play big, big minutes for them in yep. big spots. You know, The Spurs the other night where they buried them, I mean, they can't figure out how to keep Tony Parker on the floor because he can't guard Curry. And if, he can, and if he stays out there, they put Livingston in and they post him up. There's nowhere for Tony Parker to really go. And they, uh, they want to put Kawhi on Curry. And Parker just becomes a major liability, and then it kills the Spurs on the other side. They, I don't remember ever seeing a team that causes so much matchup nightmares on, at every single uh, team that they play. Um, it's incredible, and of course, you know the Curry is sort uh, of a combination of Maravich and Nash. Um, I've never seen someone. Sort of do what he does on a basketball court. Uh, how he shoots the ball, how he passes the ball. His ball handling is so improved. And, and all we uh, saw this at Davidson. I know Doug Gottlieb was to heard it the other day. Had a tweet when the draft was coming out, and he basically sliced eight point guards before Curry. These are people who get paid millions of dollars by networks and companies to break players down and analyze them. No one saw this. Um, with Curry, but he is uh, uh, sensational, and Draymond is is just is just incredible on both ends of the floor, and really allows them to do things that no other team you know in the league could do. So, though so clearly they're going to break the record, or going to come really really close, and it's hard to see anybody beating them four times in seven games in the playoffs.
0: Right now they're forty 42 and four, so they you know they got to go thirty one and five in the last. 36 games in order to have at least 73 wins. Um I mean it just it's just pretty phenomenal and you know every single game they, it just you know no matter who it is. San Antonio I know they haven't played um OKC yet so maybe there is some hope that somebody out there can can beat this team um in in the Western Conference because you know I don't I don't want us fans I and mean, we love basketball and everything but we don't want to come to a point where where us as fans are bored or, you know, we, you know, it's kind of like pro wrestling. You know the outcome before it happens. And it's like, you know, the Warriors are in a four-game series against Houston or the Clippers. You have an idea that the Warriors are going to win this series regardless whether it's uh, sweep or in five. You want to be somewhat competitive and have one team, whether in their own conference or in an Eastern conference, just, you know, go out there and try to get two wins against this team. But this team is as long as they re- remain healthy, you know, Curry is is just flat out ridiculous. And he's shooting from like 50 feet out. You can guard him. They're, they're so deep. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you do? Like even San Antonio got blown up by 30, but did, you know, no um, Tim Duncan did not play. But it's like, even if Tim Duncan played, you know what? They would have lost by 20. Like, I, I don't or, get it.
1: Or, or the other way. I mean, the, the slower the big, the more they lose. they have probably lost by 40. Exactly. Uh, and again, I'm the biggest Duncan fan in the world. I, I love the Spurs. I love and I, I love Duncan. But, he can't play on the, who, who is he guarding? I mean, he can't play on the floor. <laughs> again, four games, seven game series against them. I mean, you can't have Duncan, he, he, he's 39 years old. I mean, he's not going to give them a lot in those series. The other series, he, he does, but, I mean, it's just a tough matchup. And, you know, Um, We saw in the playoffs, in the finals last year with with Cleveland, what they had to give them, and they're in the same boat. Kyrie Irving, you know, he he can't stop a nosebleed. I love his game, but his defense is horrific. So, again, who is he guarding? Is he guarding Curry? And if not, he's he's chasing Clyde around, or are you going to put him on Bogut? There's so many problems in matching up with them. And it just takes you out of your game. And you know, we saw LeBron do everything imaginable to try and hang in there. He just didn't have the power and and the guys that surround him to you know to stay in a you know, in a series like that. Um, again, in one game, Oklahoma City might have a crazy game, and Westbrook goes nuts, and stuff could happen over one game, no question. But I don't see how anyone thinks they're going to beat them four times in seven games. That, that to me, seems you know, very unlikely. The interesting thing I heard the other day, which is the really only way to beat Golden State is to a rule change, and that's to bring back the, the hand check. And in the league today, where you're really not allowed to do that anymore, um, it's really challenging to guard these guys. But, you know, when when we first started our conversation, you were asking how long I've been a Knicks fan, and, now, I know you've been a Knicks fan a long, too, and in the Riley years when you were rooting for the Bulls, the strategy of the Knicks was beat the crap out of those guys and mm-hmm. don't let them go down the lane and knock them down. And You don't see that in, against Golden State because you can't do it. But, you no, know, would it be different if Curry was getting manhandled all over the floor, getting knocked down and bloodied when he'd go in for a layup, and there would be pushing and fights a lot of the old way of the end yeah, I think things would absolutely change, and it would create this whole idea of villains again and back and forth, which I think is really fun and the people like watching, but everything is so PG now in all the leagues, it's going to be really difficult for that to come in. I mean, you touch a guy now, and it's a flagrant foul, but it would be really interesting to see you know, that rule back in place and teams get much more physical with Golden State because clearly that's the only way to beat them.
0: I'd I truly wonder how LeBron really feels deep down that you know he he wins two titles in Miami. He goes back home and you know just the, the the spotlight is on him going back to Cleveland. They're automatically finals favorites or, uh, you know, potential teams to get to the finals. They get Kevin Love in the trade with Minnesota and, and Andrew Wiggins. Um, Kyrie resigns, signs And it's like, all right, we, you know, we, we got this. And all of a sudden, from left field, the Warriors rise up as a contender. Because before last year, it was, you know, uh, Clippers or Houston or San Antonio. And nobody saw the Warriors coming. And when they did, it just they're basically on a two-year run where they're just, you know, LeBron's still in his prime trying to get a ring for Cleveland, and he, and he goes back, and it's like, you know, it's like the it's like a wall. And like, listen, you go back home, but you're not getting a championship because we're here, we're on the rise, we're still young, and I just don't know if LeBron's going to be able to get that, that ring for Cleveland.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, the um, you know, Golden State's on a two-year run. They're incredibly young. Harrison Barnes, you know, Curry, Clay, Draymond, these are all. You know, Azele gives them a ton off the bench. These are young guys. So if they can keep this core together and not lose guys because they want a bigger role, then clearly they have um, a lot more left in them. You know, it's a tough situation. You know, he goes back. Like, if, you, if LeBron retires right now. He's the, one of the top ten greatest players in the history of the sport with two rings, and in 25 years you're looking back at this guy as one of the great all-time players. But because we live in a social media age where everybody has an opinion on every single thing, right. every single thing that's broken down, in LeBron's case it really has played for him as a huge celebrity and global icon, but it's really played against him in his career and reputation. And uh, you know, every single thing that he does is ripped Um you know the, the the black thing. Now he's coming out, and he's getting framed as a coach killer, and it's no different from all the greats who wanted a different voice. Uh, not that I necessarily think what happened was right, but that's what happens. And uh, you know, they're want to win a ring. they they've won um, uh, thirty eight of their last forty six games. Uh, they lost three games since Christmas um, before the Bulls to the Spurs and, and both to Golden State, and the coach gets fired. Um, so their goal is to win it all, and if, and if they can't win it all, they want to make changes. So it's hard to hit on that. On the other hand, um, he's made a couple of very iffy moves, specifically the Kevin Walter Wiggins move, which is flat out a LeBron request um, and trade that was executed and LeBron acted as GM and that trade has destroyed them. Because if they had Wiggins who could defend is one in my mind first team all defense, you could put him on curry. And now you have this different angle of a team who's trying to play Golden State. Right now they have so many bigs he made them resign Tristan Thompson because he's part of his whole you know company. They have Mozgov. they have Eregio, they're so so and obviously they have love None of those guys can play except for maybe Thompson in, against Golden State. So they're just, you know, they're a little stuck. You know, obviously, you know, when you're going to the biggest games in the world, you're in the NBA Finals and you're rolling out J.R. Smith and Schumper um, to go up against Clay and, and, and Curry. I don't care if you have Kyrie Irving or Bob Cousy, it, it's really challenging to, you know, as I said beat Golden State four times in seven games and win a game in Golden
0: State. Uh, two more for you, Ryan, before I let you go. Um, the current situation where the Knicks are trying to get a point guard uh Jeff Teague's name has come up. Also, Brandon Jennings and Mike Conley. Um, I think I think we all agree that they need to upgrade at the point guard position. Somebody younger and more athletic and quicker. Um, If they make a deal for Jeff Teague, or they sign Jennings, or they sign Conley, or whatever. However, they do it. If they acquire one of those guys, who would it be? And out of those three, who would be the last on your list to acquire?
1: Well, I mean, clearly, I think you start with Jennings being the last guy he's coming off of a major injury, Kelly's injury, which I actually had. It's a brutal, brutal injury. Mm. Um, can he come back? Yeah. Even if he comes back to be the same guy, he's not a very point guard uh, winning NBA player. Um, takes a tremendous amount of shots. Isn't a great defender. Small uh, frame. Um Jeff Teague is a really interesting player. I can I, I see that fit. You know, he, he gets the ball up the floor. He's a nice size, got a great handle, really move. good player from Wake Forest. I, I, I like Jeff Teague a lot. Again, what do you have to give up to get Jeff Teague when you look at the Knicks? Do you have to give up Grant? Um, you know, is it, is it Williams and Thomas? I don't know. I, I don't know. I looked at this trying to figure it out. I don't even know who the Knicks. They have no pick. I, I'm not exactly sure who they would trade in a deal for Teague. I'm not sure that'll happen. It feels, I don't know, a little too reported, a little too obvious. Um, You know, the trade deadline's coming up in three weeks. It's been a very, very quiet trade rumor this year. Mm. Everyone, I think the biggest reason why is, and you look at the East, there's about nine teams that are all tied for the most part for one or two games within each other. So there's a lot of guys that aren't selling. People think they can make the playoffs uh, with a tweak here or there. Um, if the Knicks were 10 games under 500, you'd, you'd be hearing Carmel Anthony rumors, um, and stuff like that. So, I mean, would they, would the Knicks go out and try to get uh, Blake Griffin on the cheap because of what's happened here? No, I don't think so. I think Phil's trying to stay, um, with his strategy. You mentioned Connolly. I think Connolly also is a really nice fit. He's a solid point guard, um, upper echelon, top 10, top 12 in the league. Um, you could get him as a free agent this season. The following year, you have Kyle Lowry, Russell Westbrook, and Chris Paul, all as free agents also. So, I think the bigger question isn't Jennings or Teague. Do you sign a guy this year, or do you wait for the following year and really try and get Russell Westbrook to team up with Porzingis and that be your uh, twosome for the next 10 years?
0: Last one, uh, I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. I'm pretty sure you are, too. And if there's any way that the Knicks... uh, You know, can get Kevin Durant. Do you go out and do it? Or do you feel like, you know, with the money involved and the contract and this, or do you think Phil's going to stay on his course? Or do you think he's really going to try to get Kevin Durant to become a Nick?
1: Oh, no question. I mean, if you could get KD, you go get him. I mean, there's no one, there's nobody in the league more that you'd want to have. He could do it all the size, the ability to shoot the ball, these. Such an incredible score, and I've reported on my podcast several times. I know someone very, very, very close to KD who advises him on a lot of things. Who made it very, very clear to me when I asked him what does he think about New York? I was actually talking about the Nets in Brooklyn. That because uh, at the time Jay was owning the team and Kevin is now you know a part of Rock Nation. And I, I said, "What do you think about him in Brooklyn?" He said, "Brooklyn, no chance." But, boy, does KD love Fisher. So the Knicks, he's a, he, he really thinks the Knicks are an interesting destination. Am I sort of reporting that KD is going to come here? No, but I've been told by people very, very close to him in this camp that he loves Coach Fisher and that New York would absolutely be a destination that he'd uh, be intrigued by. Now that said, what they're building in L.A. with Randall and uh, Julius, Julius Randall and D'Angelo Russell and the cap space they have And the L.A. Whites, if they could pair up Durant and another star with those guys, um, that's a really interesting fit. At the same time, you could go back to Washington um, and play with some really good players, a great backcourt there, a bunch of young kids, and go back home, which LeBron did and everybody thought was the greatest thing. So maybe KD is thinking... You go back home, you know, Washington has been terrible this year. They're one of the biggest disappointments in the league. Will that play on his mind? You know, who knows? I think the one thing I do know is that uh, when the season's over, he's going to look long and hard at those destinations and then look long and hard at his own specific situation in Oklahoma City. This is not a shoo-in to re-sign in Oklahoma City at all. And If Kevin Durant leaves and goes to another destination, that changes the landscape of the NBA.
0: Could you imagine Durant and and poor Zingis and Melo on the same team? I, I know I, I know Knicks I, I know Nick's fans don't like it because you know we've been burned so many times where we felt like a guy was gonna come here, LeBron and and you know whoever else that was out there we tried to get and we we, we fantasized like oh man just imagine if if LeBron was a Nick or this guy was a Nick and. They, they never came they never showed up but we get all-stars you know way past their prime so I don't want to get a lot of people hopes up but just imagine that tandem that trio of Porzingis at 20 20 years old Kevin Durant mid-20s mellow you know early 30s still and now Kevin Durant can come to the Eastern Conference like you said change the landscape um, I think that that's pretty pretty good
1: be, yeah of course it's great I mean Obviously, how Mellow fits into that puzzle is a little bit of an interesting, intriguing situation. But clearly, it's uh, if KG is available and wants to come here, uh, Phil would be happy to take.
0: Him. Ryan Berger, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Before I let you go, um, let the people know your, about your website, your podcast, and how people can, you know, contact you and stuff.
1: Yeah, so you can check out the podcast. Search iTunes. Inside the Burger Shop, the Grill is hot you can find our podcast uh, each week um, you can check out our website uh, theburgershop.com um, and as well as follow me you can follow me on Twitter at The Burger Shop so thanks for having me on I really appreciate it uh, looking forward to uh, a great second half of the NBA season and uh, you know looking forward to a little hoops in the sun action this summer before you know it it'll be here
0: that's right man you know what I thought Cruise Control was a, a, a creative name, but inside the burger shop with bar and grill, wherever it's how you just said, that, that that's pretty creative, my man.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I grew up uh, watching a lot of creative people do a lot of cool things, and I'm trying uh, my best to hang in there. Mm.
0: Thank you, man. I appreciate it.
1: Appreciate it. Be well. All right.